0: Section 48 of Volume 1D of History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Asterix. History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688 by david hume volume one d section forty eight chapter forty five part three in consequence of this universal fermentation the ideas of men enlarged themselves on all sides and the several constituent parts of the gothic governments which seem to have lain long inactive began everywhere to operate and encroach on each other on the continent where the necessity of discipline had begotten standing armies the princes commonly established an unlimited authority and overpowered by force or intrigue the liberties of the people in england the love of freedom which unless checked flourishes extremely in all liberal natures acquired new force and was regulated by more enlarged views suitable to that cultivated understanding which became every day more common among men of birth and education a familiar acquaintance with the precious remains of antiquity excited in every generous breast a passion for a limited constitution and begat an emulation of those manly virtues which the greek and roman authors by such animating examples as well as pathetic expressions recommend to us the severe though popular government of elizabeth had confined this rising spirit within very narrow bounds but when a new and a foreign family succeeded to the throne and a prince less dreaded and less beloved symptoms immediately appeared of a more free and independent genius in the nation happily this prince possessed neither sufficient capacity to perceive the alteration nor sufficient art and vigor to check it in its early advances jealous of regal because conscious of little personal authority he had established within his own mind a speculative system of absolute government which few of his subjects he believed and none but traitors and rebels would make any scruple to admit on whichever side he cast his eye every thing concurred to encourage his prejudices when he compared himself with the other hereditary sovereigns of europe he imagined that as he bore the same rank he was entitled to equal prerogatives not considering the innovations lately introduced by them and the military force by which their authority was supported in england that power almost unlimited which had been exercised for above a century especially during the late reign he ascribed solely to royal birth and title not to the prudence and spirit of the monarchs nor to the conjectures of the times even the opposition which he had struggled with in scotland encouraged him still further in his favourite notions while he there saw that the same resistance which opposed regal authority violated all law and order and made way either for the ravages of a barbarous nobility or for the more intolerable insolence of seditious preachers in his own person therefore he thought all legal power to be centred by an hereditary and a divine right and this opinion might have proved dangerous if not fatal to liberty had not the firmness of the persuasion and its seeming evidence induced him to trust solely to his right without making the smallest provision either of force or politics in order to support it such were the opposite dispositions of parliament and prince at the commencement of the scottish line dispositions just beginning to exist and to appear in the parliament but thoroughly established and openly avowed on the part of the prince the spirit and judgment of the house of commons appeared not only in defence of their own privileges but also in their endeavour though at this time in vain to free trade from those shackles which the high exerted prerogative and even in this respect the ill-judged tyranny of elizabeth had imposed upon it james had already of his own accord called in and annulled all the numerous patents for monopolies which had been granted by his predecessor and which extremely fettered every species of domestic industry but the exclusive company still remained another species of monopoly by which almost all foreign trade except that to france was brought into the hands of a few rapacious engrossers and all prospect of future improvement in commerce was forever sacrificed to a little temporary advantage of the sovereign these companies though arbitrarily erected had carried their privileges so far that almost all the commerce of england was centred in london and it appears that the customs of that port amounted to one hundred and ten thousand pounds a year while those of all the kingdom beside yielded only seventeen thousand nay the whole trade of london was confined to about two hundred citizens who were easily enabled by combining among themselves to fix whatever price they pleased both to the exports and imports of the nation the committee appointed to consider this enormous grievance one of the greatest which we read of in english story insist on it as a fact well known and avowed however contrary to present received opinion that shipping and seamen had insensibly decayed during all the preceding reign and though nothing be more common than complaints of the decay of trade even during the most flourishing periods yet is this a consequence which might naturally result from such arbitrary establishments at a time when the commerce of all the other nations of europe except that of scotland enjoyed full liberty and indulgence while the commons were thus attempting to give liberty to the trading part of the nation they also endeavoured to free the landed property from the burden of wardships and to remove those remains of the feudal tenures under which the nation still laboured a just regard was shown to the crown in the conduct of this affair nor was the remedy sought for considered as a matter of right but merely of grace and favour the profit which the king reaped both from wards and from respite of homage was estimated and it was intended to compound for these prerogatives by a secure and independent revenue but after some debates in the house and some conferences with the lords the affair was found to contain more difficulties than could easily at that time be surmounted and it was not then brought to any conclusion the same fate attended an attempt of a like nature to free the nation from the burden of purveyance this prerogative had been much abused by the purveyors and the commons showed some intention to offer the king fifty thousand pounds a year for the abolition of it another affair of the utmost consequence was brought before the parliament where the commons showed a greater spirit of independence than any true judgment of national interest the union of the two kingdoms was zealously and even impatiently urged by the king he justly regarded it as the peculiar felicity of his reign that he had terminated the bloody animosities of these hostile nations and had reduced the whole island under one government enjoying tranquillity within itself and security from all foreign invasions he hoped that while his subjects of both kingdoms reflected on past disasters besides regarding his person as infinitely precious they would entertain the strongest desire of securing themselves against the return of like calamities by a thorough union of laws parliaments and privileges he considered not that this very reflection operated as yet in a contrary manner on men's prejudices and kept alive that mutual hatred between the nations which had been carried to the greatest extremities and required time to allay it the more urgent the king appeared in promoting so useful a measure the more backward was the english parliament in concurring with him while they ascribed his excessive zeal to that partiality in favour of his ancient subjects of which they thought that on other occasions they had reason to complain their complaisance for the king therefore carried them no further than to appoint forty-four english to meet with thirty-one scottish commissioners in order to deliberate concerning the terms of a union but without any power of making advances towards the establishment of it the same spirit of independence and perhaps not better judgment appeared in the house of commons when the question of supply was brought before them by some members attached to the court in vain was it urged that though the king received a supply which had been voted to elizabeth and which had not been collected before her death yet he found it burdened with a debt contracted by the queen equal to the full amount of it that peace was not yet thoroughly concluded with spain and that ireland was still expensive on his journey from scotland amidst such a concourse of people and on that of the queen and royal family he had expended considerable sums and that as the courtiers had looked for greater liberalities from the prince on his accession and had imposed on his generous nature so the prince in his turn would expect at the beginning some mark of duty and attachment from his people and some consideration of his necessities no impression was made on the house of commons by these topics and the majority appeared fully determined to refuse all supply the burden of government at that time lay surprisingly light upon the people and that very reason which to us at this distance may seem a motive of generosity was the real cause why the parliament was on all occasions so remarkably frugal and reserved they were not as yet accustomed to open their purses in so liberal a manner as their successors in order to supply the wants of their sovereign and the smallest demand however requisite appeared in their eyes unreasonable and exorbitant the commons seem also to have been desirous of reducing the crown to still further necessities by their refusing a bill sent down to them by the lords for entailing the crown lands for on the king's heirs and successors the dissipation made by elizabeth had probably taught james the necessity of this law and shown them the advantage of refusing it in order to cover a disappointment with regard to supply which might bear a bad construction both at home and abroad james sent a message to the house in which he told them that he desired no supply and he was very forward in refusing what was never offered him soon after he prorogued the parliament not without discovering in his speech visible marks of dissatisfaction even so early in his reign he saw reason to make public complaints of the restless and encroaching spirit of the puritanical party and of the malevolence with which they endeavoured to inspire the commons nor were his complaints without foundation or the puritans without interest since the commons now finding themselves free from the arbitrary government of elizabeth made application for a conference with the lords and presented a petition to the king the purport of which was to procure in favour of the puritans a relaxation of the ecclesiastical laws the use of the surplice and of the cross in baptism is there chiefly complained of but the remedy seems to have been expected solely from the king's dispensing power in the papers which contain this application and petition we may also see proofs of the violent animosity of the commons against the catholics together with the intolerating spirit of that assembly this summer the peace with spain was finally concluded and was signed by the spanish ministers at london in the conferences previous to this treaty the nations were found to have so few claims on each other that except on account of the support given by england to the low country provinces the war might appear to have been continued more on account of personal animosity between philip and elizabeth than any contrariety of political interests between their subjects some articles in the treaty which seemed prejudicial to the dutch commonwealth were never executed by the king and as the spaniards made no complaints on that head it appeared that by secret agreement the king had expressly reserved the power of sending assistance to the hollanders the constable of castile came into england to ratify the peace and on the part of england the earl of hertford was sent into the low countries for the same purpose and the earl of nottingham high admiral into spain the train of the latter was numerous and splendid and the spaniards it is said were extremely surprised when they beheld the blooming countenances and graceful appearance of the english whom their bigotry inflamed by the priests had represented as so many monsters and infernal demons though england by means of her naval force was perfectly secure during the latter years of the spanish war james showed an impatience to put an end to hostilities and soon after his accession before any terms of peace were concerted or even proposed by spain he recalled all the letters of mark in this respect james's peace was more honourable than that which henry the fourth himself made with spain this latter prince stipulated not to assist the dutch and the supplies which he secretly sent them were in direct contravention to the treaty which had been granted by queen elizabeth archduke albert had made some advances of a like nature which invited the king to take this friendly step but what is remarkable in james's proclamation for that purpose he plainly supposes that as he had himself while king of scotland always lived in amity with spain peace was attached to his person and that merely by his accession to the crown of england without any articles of treaty or agreement he had ended the war between the kingdoms this ignorance of the law of nations may appear surprising in a prince who was thirty-six years of age and who had reigned from his infancy did we not consider that a king of scotland who lives in close friendship with england has few transactions to manage with foreign princes and has little opportunity of acquiring experience unhappily for james his timidity his prejudices his indolence his love of amusement Particularly of hunting, to which he was much addicted, ever prevented him from making any progress in the knowledge or practice of foreign politics, and in a little time diminished that regard which all the neighboring nations had paid to England during the reign of his predecessor. End of section forty eight, chapter forty five, part three, recording by Asterix.